Everybody good? Y'all awake? Man, it's so good to be here. You never know what to expect being spring break, you know, people uh, living it up in Club La Vila or something at Panama City or something like that. But, man, it is so good to see you. And what a beautiful day outside. Uh, selfishly, I missed you guys last week. I was at our Anderson campus. And, of course, they were on their tail end of spring break. And then time change Sunday. And I was missing you guys. Uh, I was missing you all bad. But it is always great to get to other campuses and really see what God is doing across um, all of our campuses and in the upstate. It's just amazing to think that uh, just a few months ago at the end of August, we launched our Anderson campus and they're averaging like 170, 180 on a Sunday. I mean, think about that. They're like, and they're like tearing or setting up and tearing down every Sunday in a hotel ballroom. It's just amazing. And I'm going to tell you this, um, and it's one of those things you just have to see it to believe it, I guess. But uh, if you have a college student, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, it is awesome that it's pretty much ran by college students. They get there early and they're setting up and tearing down and they are doing everything. They're the greeting team. They're, I mean, it's just amazing to see what God is doing there. And uh, so it was good. My first time uh, teaching there. I felt like the freshman on campus, you know, like even though it's not on campus, it's in a hotel room. Like I went to like, I didn't know where to go. So I went to the back of the hotel and some of the guys were like loading up to set up. And I'm like, where do I enter? They're like, aren't you a pastor around here or something? And I'm like, I have no clue where I'm going. Uh, but it was good to do that. And so grateful to be back. A couple just before we dig in, I know I never want to like hijack the, the message time with like information or announcement overload. But I think uh, just so you are aware we're a church body and for you to be in the know and to be praying and also be celebrating together, uh, a couple uh, really, I have a few really, really exciting announcements. One, if you were here last Sunday, you know that we kind of uh, launched, not kind of, we launched a, a guys group that meets during the week. If you're interested in that, come see me. Uh, guys, you know, we want you to get plugged in and the ladies are really good at that. And the guys, um, you know, we just struggled to kind of be open and vulnerable, and it's a great opportunity for you to be with other guys. So make sure you check that out. Also, our students have been meeting at this hour. Uh, we're still praying through and walking through some things next door so our students can meet in the doctor's office lobby over there. But right now, they're like carpooling to Starbucks every Sunday, which what student doesn't want Starbucks? My kids are like, can I get the cookie crumble frappuccino? I'm like, at 9.50? Sure, why not? You know, go there, go home, get sugared up. Uh, but they're doing that. Brandon is doing an incredible job with that. As um, Catherine said, also just be thinking about our Easter services. Uh, it's not on spring break this year, so we're anticipating a large crowd, three services. So be doing that. We also have a, an awesome opportunity in the past, if you call this place home, we have in the past done a thing called the upper room, which is the Thursday before Easter. This year, we're changing it up a little bit. Uh, we're actually doing a Good Friday service at our downtown campus on, on Good Friday. And so it's a great opportunity for all of our campuses to co come together and do that. But really what I really wanted to hit home, because you probably saw it on Facebook or social media and you might have questions and I'm available for you to ask whatever questions you have about it. But this past Sunday, this total God thing, and I'm not trying to overly spiritualize it, just wanted you to be praying through this. But um, last Sunday, um, Laurel Baptist Church, which is a, um, a church that's been around for a long time. It's on the corner of Lawrence Road and Haywood Road. Um, we've been in some conversations. They approached us, but they uh, 
unanimously voted, I mean, zero people voted no to this of their congregation to become our sixth campus, okay? Yeah, so you can celebrate that. And uh, there's a lot of, lot of details, a lot of different things. We will not publicly launch that campus for um, still probably fall of 2023. So another year, year and a half or so, um, there's some renovations that need to take place. There's tra transition stuff, all that um, great, great stuff that needs to happen. And so we're doing that. And so let me encourage you with that being said, um, you probably saw the slide at the beginning as you were sitting, um, we were, we're having a church conference on Wednesday, April 6th. Now, don't let that church conference is like churchy word. Like, what does that mean? Are we all going to sit around conference tables? No. All right. It's just more of like your old school business meeting type thing. Um, but we do, because of our church bylaws, uh, we're merging. But in addition to that, we are voting on maximizing our current or our loan from 2017. And here's why this is important. So in our bylaws, anytime we do that, we need the church's vote. Um, it, you can do it online. You don't have to be present to win, okay? So you can do this online. The link will start the Sunday before, which is April 3rd. But here's what we're gonna do with that, that loan, just so you know. One, obviously our sixth campus at Laurel Baptist needs some renovation um, work done. So it needs some of that. Our Harrison Bridge campus, man, they're busting at the seams. They need some expansion work. If you've ever been there, you would know the campus, um, the layout, the footprint is just odd in some regards. And so they're going to expand that. There's some things at our downtown campus that need some updating, some maintenance things, some really important things that need to get updated and, and brought up to speed. And then most importantly, at least for us, um, that also in that loan is money for us um, and for the future. And so we've been praying, we're in conversations with the doctor's office, buying the space next to us. Uh, we're negotiating that, you know how that can go. And so we're talking through that. What is that next step? We wanna be smart about it. We don't wanna overly spend and all these different things. So a huge chunk, we're not there yet, but it's gonna be set aside for the future of Five Forks. And so, your investment into that vote is, um, is something that I'm challenging you with. Don't be like, oh, well, let somebody else vote, okay? Vote, go online. I will harass you and I'll find, I know exactly where you live, okay? You're in the database. Most of you. So I'm uh, just kidding. Uh, but anyway, it's exciting. I love what God is doing. And if you have questions about any of that, come, come see me. I'll try to answer whatever I can. But it really is a historic moment because our executive team, long planning, um, uh, committee, long-term planning committee, and our deacons are recommending this. And with interest rates and everything, uh, it's just the perfect time. So anyway, so y'all do that. And y'all ready to dig into God's word? Let's do this, okay? Turn with me to Luke 16. Luke 16. Now, I don't do this all the time. Um, we know that and we see that uh, scripture is offensive already. So you don't need me to kind of, you know, set some kind of disclaimer or warning sign. But just being real and honest and transparent, man, this message I've just wrestled with, it, it is a sobering text. And there's no easy way around it. Um, and so I'll, with that being said, I want you to know that like really, I've been praying for each of us. Um, and of course the second service as well, as we navigate through this. And as Catherine mentioned, really want you to really take to heart the words of Jesus this morning because it is difficult. But as a church, we need to talk about difficult things. 
when you talk about things that are reality, that are in scripture and not skirt around, unfortunately, pastors and churches do that and we don't wanna be that church. And so it's a difficult, sobering passage that Jesus is about to, or not about to, he's been doing this in, in the series, we've seen this. Jesus is addressing some issues of the Pharisees, the religious elite. And if you remember, like really, We've been kind of in this section. This is the 12th week we've been in this series, walking through the life of Jesus. And we're in this kind of section where we're addressing the message of Jesus. What did he have to say? We saw what he did, but what are some things that he taught to his disciples, to the Pharisees, to um, people who were listening, to the tax collectors, the outcasts, and so forth. And what we see is really this message where Jesus is continually challenging religion and encouraging relationship. And so at the time, the people were all about traditions and rules and regulations, and especially the Pharisees, these religious elite, they were the spiritual police of the day. So they were in your face about, you can't do that. And as we mentioned a couple weeks ago, they were, they were kind of always right over Jesus' shoulder saying, okay, don't do that. They wanted this gotcha moment for Jesus. And so what we see is over and over in these messages, Jesus is really getting to the heart. As the Pharisees were all about their policies, Jesus was about people. And so we, we've seen this, think about this. A few weeks ago, we looked at the story of Martha and Mary. And Mary was just sitting at the feet of Jesus and Martha was running around like a chicken with her head cut off, right? Getting, she was super busy. And Jesus is saying, hey, Mary chose what's best. She chose the good portion. And she's just sitting there. So really kind of said, okay, are we too busy for Jesus? Are we missing the mark? Okay, heart issue. After that, we looked at Jesus really confronting the disciples saying, hey, if you wanna be my disciple, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And that wasn't some, hey, just go to church a little bit and tithe when you can. I mean, that's a big commitment. He's saying, hey, take, deny yourself, die to yourself, follow me. You need to get rid of everything and, and take it up and it could cost your life. And so it's a heart issue. It's a, hey, I want everything. I want you to sacrifice for me. Uh, it's not about your plans and your desires. It's me. It's a heart issue. Last week, Will did a great job kind of swapped. I mean, I was at Anderson, he was here. And we looked at this parable that Jesus is addressing to the Pharisees. Remember that he's already kind of addressed with them some things of the heart of, hey, wouldn't you, because they were trying to catch him to heal a man who was sick on the Sabbath. And he's like, I'm healing him. So he heals this guy and, and he confronts the Pharisees and says, hey, if you had a son that fell in a well or even an animal for that matter that fell in a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you go rescue him? And he shows, I'm about people. And last week as Will walked through these three incredible parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin and the lost son, we saw Jesus's heart. It was all for people. And it wasn't about all these regulations and all these different things. And I don't know where exactly where Will left it out or left off last week, but if you think about it, we are that lost sheep. We're the lost coin and we're the lost son. And Jesus pursues us and he loves us and values us in those things. And so that brings us to this morning's passage in Luke 16. What really is happening is that Jesus shares this parable. He's talking to his disciples about really a guy who's really rich and he has this manager of his finances. He's dishonest. He's not really a good steward of the money. 
And at the end of that parable, Jesus pretty much, it's the whole thing, you probably have heard this, you know, he who's faithful with little, with little will be faithful for, with much. And he ends and concludes that parable by pretty much saying, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve both money and God. Now, this is always tricky, and if you're new to church, it's kind of like, oh, here we go. Here comes the money spiel. They always want your money, okay? That's not what I'm going to do. Because I think what's so often can be tricky is that there's nothing wrong with having a lot of money. What's wrong and what we see in Scripture is that when it's the root of evil, when you love the money, when that is the priority in life. And so that's why Jesus says you can't serve two masters. And so as he's telling that story to his disciples, to really, hey, be good steward of what God gives you. Hey, serve me. I want all of you. That kind of thing. The Pharisees are looking over the shoulder. And scripture says, because they were lovers of money, they began to ridicule Jesus. Now think about this, just kind of throwing this out there. The message of Jesus was really countercultural. And so anytime he said things, the Pharisees were like, ah, I don't know about that. It didn't make sense. What they have learned and been taught and been ingrained in their culture and society, Jesus often blew that up, threw like a hand grenade in there and said, hey, that's not how it's going to go. And so when Jesus shows up, he's saying these things about money and you can't serve two masters. The Pharisees love their money. They were the elite. They had the nice clothes right? They were, and they, they hear Jesus talking about this. They're like, what in the world? So they begin to make fun of him and to ridicule him. And so in total Jesus fashion, I love this. He turns to the Pharisees and essentially he doesn't say this, this isn't in scripture, but he's like, watch this, okay, to his disciples because he turns to his Pharisees. And what we see in this passage of scripture, like I said, is very sobering. This isn't a, hey, message of, hey, let's tell lots of jokes and be funny. This is a serious issue that I'm really praying that you take to heart. And no matter where you're at in your relationship with God, I'm specifically praying with boldness that today is the day that you give your life to Jesus. And that we see this and you will be met with, hey, this is it. So you have a decision to make. And so let's read this together. Chapter 16, verse um, 19 through 31, all right, says, there was a rich man. So he turns to the Pharisees. He's telling them this. The disciples are now listening. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who fe feasted sumptuously. Try to say that five times fast, okay? I, I, that's probably the only place in scripture that word is used, all right? Um, and he feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate, was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores. Now, if you've been in Bible study or church, this is not the same Lazarus that Jesus raised from the dead, the friend of Mary and Martha and Jesus. It's a different guy, maybe most popular, maybe it was a popular name at the time. But at this gate was a, a laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and he was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy 
on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus is in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers so that he may warn them lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, then they will repent. He's pretty much saying, if there's a resurrection, if, if I can go back or somebody could go back and tell them that they would, they would believe, they would re repent. And he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone would rise from the dead. Let's pray this morning. Father, this is a difficult passage. And just reading it, you put it on our hearts and our minds that each of us have the opportunity to make you Lord and Savior in our life. And I don't know where everyone stands in their relationship with you. We live in a world, it's so easy just to play church and to kind of go through the routines. We're all guilty of that at some level. But this morning, God, I pray for salvation. I pray that for the people that are here that don't know you, in a way that is relational, it's just religion to them, that God, today would be the day that you soften their heart. It's hard words to read about hell and the torment. And not to scare anybody into salvation, but to see that their, hell is a real place. And so Father, I pray that today they see that only salvation comes from you and you alone. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. Man, I told you, it's heavy. It's, it's not lighthearted. It's not an easy story. But what we see is Jesus doing this comparison where he does this a lot in, in his parables. And really, it's two, two lives, two deaths, and two hereafters. And he's comparing this rich man, this poor man, this rich man, which is really interesting, doesn't have a name in Scripture. A poor man who does have a name, they die, and the poor man goes to Abraham's side, the rich man is in hell, and we see that the rich man is longing for his tongue to be quenched and saying and begging, hey, if you could just send Lazarus down to cool my tongue, just dip a little bit in water, I am in torment. And Abraham's like, that's not going to happen. There's a chasm here. So then the rich man pretty much begs and says, well, if that's not the case, could you send somebody to go tell my family? My family doesn't know Jesus. And if they were to die, they would go to hell. And then uh, essentially Abraham says, hey, they have Moses and the prophets. They don't even believe that. And I'm here to tell you, even if someone came and rose again and they, it was in their face, they still would not believe. Man, 
hard, hard passage of scripture. And so what I wanna do just in the application kind of sense is go through three things that are really directions or maybe even characteristics of an unbelieving heart, of some things that, you know, it's easy to say we believe in God, but here's where the rubber meets the road. And the first thing that we see characteristic is you think too highly of yourself. If, if you are an unbeliever, you think too highly of yourself. And I don't think any of us in this room this morning would be like, yeah, I'm the most selfish person here. I think this is one of those things that we're blinded to. People will tell us you're selfish. You just think about yourself. It's all about you, you know? And we're like, no, not really. I remember, okay, this is not throwing my wife under the bus, but I remember my first two years of marriage, Sloan saying, hey, you're being selfish in this moment. And our automatic defense is, no, I'm not. Have you ever, when the first time someone says you're selfish, you go, yeah, you're right, I am. <laughs> no, it's like this defense mechanism in us. And what we see in this moment, in this passage, is a rich man who thinks too highly of himself. Scholars even would say that he was a good Jew. He had lots of money. That's not why he was selfish per se. That wasn't why he was in hell because he had lots of money. But here laid a beggar at his door or at his gate and he did nothing about it. He just thought about himself. So much so, isn't it interesting that while the rich man is in hell, now all of a sudden he needs Lazarus to help him. And so here comes a poor man who's at his gate, who's like just longing for crumbs off the rich man's table. And the rich man is too concerned about his, his fortune and his lifestyle. He's wearing purple linen and he's looking nice and all these other things. And what scholars say is, yeah, he's a good Jew. We essentially say he knows enough to call out for Abraham, actually. He knows enough about the culture and the ritual and the Jewish customs. He knows who Abraham is, Father Abraham. Every time I think about that, if you grew up in church, which I didn't, but we sang this song in middle school, uh, or no, high school, and it's weird, but Father Abraham, Father Abraham, had many sons. Okay, never mind. That's my ADD squirrel, all right? But he knew that. He knew who Father Abraham was, and so he reached out and said, Abraham. Now, isn't it interesting that the rich man, he didn't call out for God. Got out for Abraham. He didn't really have a relationship with God. He had a relationship with religion. And I know this sounds weird, but even his religion didn't connect him with God. His religion was really, in a modern day sense, would be cultural Christianity. He probably went to church. He probably gave to the Pharisees, whatever. He, he knew some of the laws. He knew who Abraham was. Very cultural. But then he dies and the consequences of his life of not having a relationship with God was hell. And so we see this, like, this is selfishness that this man is living. And it's really, really interesting that he doesn't call out to God. And I don't know about you, like, this is just a personal beef of me. And don't think less of me, all right? Because you'll be thinking too highly of yourself. Um, <laughs> it is, uh, you know, like, I hope that you see, for me, I'd never try to be someone that I'm not. And I never try to be the pastor that looks like I have it all together because there's plenty of things in scripture I'm like, didn't learn that in seminary or how do I talk about that? 
Or, hey, I, don't, I never want you to think or think of my kids as being ones that, hey, they're the pastor. They're supposed to do that. They have everything together. And when something falls, you're like, oh, well, he's the pastor. I can't believe that happened. You know, whatever. Man, I'm struggling in this relationship trying to follow God just like you. And, but at the same time, man, we need to be genuine and authentic. And we've all, if you've been to church at some point in your life, you have probably met somebody. And this, thankfully, I can't think of anybody or else I would say your name. No, just kidding. Uh, that's here. But you know what I mean when you go to an old school church and, and it's like, hey, brother, it's just a glorious day in the house of the Lord. Isn't it amazing? Amen, God, amen, amen. You know, and I'm like, what in the world? Like, like okay, if that's your personality, great. I'm just being honest. It's hard for me to see through that. And see authenticity that really follows Jesus. You know, and so I remember when I was a student intern at a church, there was this guy, and we called him Brother Lindsay. You ever do that if you grew up in church? Hey, Brother Lindsay, you know? And he was just that guy. And part of it was his, his you know, kind of personality. But I always just struggled through that. And I almost feel like this is, this is a horrible analogy, that this guy could have been like that. And maybe that's just my own insecurity, and I'm assuming all kind of stuff, and please don't hate me. But we don't need to be those people. We need to be authentic and be real. And when you're struggling, you need to come to, to, to a small group or talk to somebody and be like, hey, I'm, I'm dealing with this. You know how many times I meet with people at our campus alone? They're like, I got some church baggage. Don't we all, <laughs> you know? And so let us cut through that stuff, not to be a religion that's fake, that's just go through the motions, but we have a personal relationship with God. And here's the reality, and I talked about this a couple weeks ago, I'm a firm believer of this, that pride is one of the most dangerous obstacles in following Jesus. Pride is one of the most dangerous obstacles to following Jesus. Pride gets in the way. It says, I don't need Jesus. I've got this. I'm better without Jesus. It says things like, hey, I'll do whatever it takes. Then, I, then you know, I'll live my life and then I'll give my life to Jesus. Don't be that person. This guy, I believe, was that person. I got all this, all this money. I don't really need Jesus. That, that lame beggar named Lazarus at the gate, who cares? I'll just walk right past him every single day. Let us not be like that because we're so full of ourselves. Let us be people that we see Jesus gave his life for us and to be people that can put God on the pedestal and not our plans. To say it's all about God in my life, not my plans and my desires and my riches in this. I mean, I wrote this question down. I mean, it's a confronting question. Are you seriously going to let your pride overthrow your eternity? Think about that. To, to think to yourself, and I meet people like this all the time, and I'm guilty of this at times, think, I, you know what, it's kind of routine. I mean, I don't know about you. I don't say this in a morbid way. I don't think about eternity often. And maybe I should. This past week, I had to walk through a family uh, with a family that lost a loved one. And it seems like the only time we really think about eternity is when we go to a funeral or we lose a loved one. But that, I mean... We should be thinking about eternity. And not like when you're like 75 and you're like, I'm ready to meet Jesus. I'm saying like right now. Because you and I could literally leave, go to lunch and die in a car accident. I mean, like it, think about like the golfers who died. You probably saw that. Like they didn't see it coming. You, you have situations like that. There was a shooting yesterday. They didn't see it coming. Anything could happen. 
We need to be ready for eternity. And that means where are we and what direction are we living in our life that our relationship with God is actually a relationship, not religion. So we think too highly of ourselves. Secondly, we think too little of others. I know these go hand in hand, but the Pharisees were guilty of this. They looked down on the lowly. They're the outcast. You know, they even said over and over and over in scripture, you see them say, well, he eats dinner with the sinners. He calls them to his house. He hangs out with the outcast. Man, I don't know about you. I'm so glad that Jesus hung out with the outcast because I'm an outcast. And I'm glad that Jesus didn't, you know, lift up his nose or look down upon me in such a way that said he's not worth saving. And we cannot be those people that this rich man looks down at this poor guy, like I said, just kind of walks right past him. And what ends up happening is in our life, we tend, even as believers, we get on our holy high horse and we elevate ourselves above people. And, we're, and, and so we start to say things, hurtful things to people who don't believe like us, who don't look like us, who don't act like us. They're lost. They're not going to believe like us. Let us not look down and say degrading comments to people when we're trying to elevate the name of Jesus, not our agenda and our beliefs in such a way like, sure, stand for what you believe. I'm not saying compromise that. But there's a right way and a wrong way to do that. And we are a church that wants to be balanced in that truth and in that love. I wrote this down if you're taking notes. People who matter to God must matter to us. Isn't it interesting in all of these parables where Jesus is comparing, it's our tendency, my tendency to look at the people and be like, yeah, they don't deserve that. Yeah, they, they don't deserve that. And Jesus tells these parables and really to reverse our thinking of the people that we don't think deserve it are the ones who actually win at the end of the day. You know what I'm saying? So in this, you would think the rich man, he's probably a good guy, probably gives to the church. He knows about Abraham. He probably thought, you know, especially in the culture of the day, man, if you had a lot of money, you were blessed by God. It's kind of like your, you know, first century prosperity gospel. It's like, hey, he must be good with God. He's rich. Because they, they viewed people that were the outcasts with disease as sinners. And so we see this as a picture of God's grace. Once again, same thing with the prodigal son last week. Man, God goes after the people that humble themselves. That say, you know what? I'm not worthy of Jesus' love. I am a sinner. I, I have messed up. There is a chasm between us. And so in this passage, you see Lazarus is that person. And here's what's interesting about this. Lazarus, the poor guy, has a name. The rich man doesn't even have a name. It's almost as if his identity is driven by his riches and success, but Lazarus has a name. Jesus knows him. Now think about this too. When they die, the rich man, he had a nice little funeral. He was buried. That cost a lot of money. Then it cost a lot of money now. This poor man, he didn't have any money. He went straight to Abraham's side. Man, that's got to say something about his relationship with who Jesus is. That even though he was poor and was begging and, and he had a relationship with God to be right next to Abraham's side. Let you and me not look down or look upon and think they, they don't have, you know, people that, are, that might not have as much as us or look like us. Let's not think so highly of ourselves that we think too little of others. So think about this. This some questions. How are you serving others? How are you making life not about yourself? How are you praying? And instead of putting down people who need Jesus, actually praying for them. 
Man, those are some good, uh, good things. I wrote this down. If your theology separates you from sinners like you, you have some work to do. If your theology says, oh man, we're all sinners. We all need Jesus. And then finally, uh, characteristic of an unbelieving heart. Not only do you think highly of yourself and uh, too little of others, you don't think nothing of God. You think nothing of God. This man, I don't think it was his priority to follow Jesus. Maybe he was guilty of same things. We, we don't know. I can assume that maybe his faith was this surfacy. Maybe his relationships were just kind of social stuff in the church and with believers and with the Pharisees. Maybe he made comments like, I'll just wait when the time is right. I'll decide to follow Jesus. Maybe he got to a point where it's like, I'm gonna live my life now and I'll do that later. I'll clean myself up, whatever. I honestly believe, not that this will never happen, but if an unbeliever who's currently in hell could come back to life and be on this earth, he would preach the gospel. He would beg for you and I to have a relationship with God. Not just knowledge of him, not just a routine, but to have a relationship with the only one that can get us to heaven, and that is through Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. I've heard it said, and this is kind of funny at first, but it puts it in perspective. I've heard it said before that a man's life consists of 20 years, the first 20 years of his mother asking, where are you going? Then the next 40 years of a man's life is his wife asking, where have you been? <laughs> but then one hour at his funeral, people sitting around asking where he went, where did he go? And I don't know about you, I don't want a funeral like that. I don't want a funeral where people are wondering, where's this person spend eternity? And not just because of one decision we made a long time ago, but in a lifestyle that shows, man, everything is of God. It's not of me, it's everything about him. And I'm throwing this out there. We don't do this a lot, so if it's your first time, I don't want you to think I'm like fire and brimstone, man. But I do think that we, as we talk about heaven, we have to talk about hell. You know, Jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven. It's a reality. So many churches skirt around it. But I wanna throw this out there and maybe this, you think this is old school. I don't know how you grew up, but I think it would be irresponsible of me to not say this this morning. If you were to die tonight or on your way to lunch or on your way to work, whatever, if you were to die tonight, are you 100% confident you would spend eternity with God in heaven? Now, I'm a good person. I, I'm not talking about that. There was a point in your life you gave it all to Jesus. You said, this is my life. I realize I'm a sinner. Please, I beg you, don't leave this morning without being 100% confident of that. I'll be down front as the band's gonna close. If you wanna talk, you want me to pray. If you'd rather talk afterwards, man, I want you to know it's a life changer, literally. Don't be like this man because he can't go back. There's no coming back to life and doing it over again. So let me close you with, with this statement. Life is just a moment, but eternity is forever. Life is just a moment, but eternity is forever. Let's pray together. Father, 
We're thankful for your son, Jesus, to come and to make a way to spend eternity in heaven. And I know, especially in the South, it is so easy just to kind of get into a routine of religion and church going and say, yeah, yeah, I believe that. Without there ever being a uh, specific time that we come to you and just say, God, I'm not worthy of you. I've sinned in my life and I need you. And in that moment of surrender and sacrifice of, of who we are in our hearts and our minds and our actions, God, you enter in, you give us forgiveness, you offer forgiveness through your son, Jesus. And so Father, I pray that today, as we have heard, we have seen the, the reality of hell, being a place of torment, but one more importantly, just separated from you forever. Let our pride not get in the way. Let our selfishness not deter from a moment right now to give everything to you. So Father, for the person that's here that needs to make that decision, God, I pray with great boldness, they would not be embarrassed. They would at least talk to somebody, talk to me, not leave here without knowing for sure that their eternity is secure in their relationship with you. It's in your son's name that we pray, amen. Hey, let's stand, let's close in a time, just worship. Worship the God who gives, the God who brings salvation.